and welcome to the Flow Podcast. Hi, Carl. Hello, we're back. We're back. <laughs> and this time it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carl, you're alive. I am, yes. Yeah, remarkably. Although I can't actually uh, feel the ends of my fingers or my big left toe. <coughs> and I have a slight cough. Yeah, because I, I heard that. It just blew my ear yeah, out. Sorry about that. With the headphones be- on. Because... Um, Myself, Andy Hawthorne, and a team of intrepid explorers have just cycled across Israel for the Message Trust. We did 910 kilometres across the Negev Desert, 35 degree heat, and uh, climbed the equivalent of Mount Everest. But as a result, I can't feel my fingers or my, <laughs> my big left toe, yeah. which is uh, a bit weird. But it was amazing, amazing time. and raised over £150,000 now. Amazing. Trust, which, yeah, incredible. And this yeah. is, I mean, you've done loads of these type of challenges in the past, yeah. haven't you? But yeah. this is the second one you've done for Message, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've done, I've cycled Calais to Nice over the Alps and Lands in Shona Grote and Nice to Naples. But for the Message Trust, uh, we did Port Elizabeth to Cape Town 18 months ago. And now we did this... Uh, kind of wild route around Israel including uh, along the Gaza Strip and through the desert and over mountains and then ending up dropping down into the Dead Sea. It was a remarkable trip but it was it was a proper brutal physical challenge as well. I mean getting up one day uh, early psyche 127 kilometres but the first I think three and a half kilometres almost going up at 15% straight after breakfast you know and then leveling out and then going up again and you've still got 100 kilometers to do and, and then finish that day and then we're up at five to head off at six to 182 kilometers and so it was a proper you know physical challenge and uh quite a few punctures the odd crash but we you know got to the end and raised the money and had an amazing adventure as well so yeah really good yeah and there wasn't there wasn't too many broken bones was there uh, along the trip <laughs> no in fact we did have one guy we, we had a bit of a five bike pile up and one guy came off and actually did damage his leg and they had a big lump coming out the side of it but we prayed we really thought that was it you know and we prayed but he uh he the swelling went down and he was able to complete the rest of the trip and walk around jerusalem with us on the last day for five six hours and then we got a message from him after he got home saying my legs just sort of swollen up again after i got home it was almost like the lord you know, enabled him to complete the trip, you know, chop around Jerusalem with us. And then uh, it was a temporary miracle until you get home. <laughs> now you need to go and see a doctor, pal. <laughs> so it was, but yeah, amazing. But it was great. And we were all safe and sound. So it was really good. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And, they, and you managed to get through security because that was a bit of a challenge as well, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. my. Um, in fact, I, I I was the one who nearly missed a flight because yeah. we... Um, we, we had an internal flight I had to walk for about two and a half kilometres with my bike box because there weren't enough cabs and then you get to the airport and it's quite funny actually as you walk in this guy security guard says do you have any weapons I went um no <laughs> not not today <laughs> so that was fine we thought oh, that was easy but then as soon as we got into the system they pulled everything apart my bike was swabbed by those sort of chemical tests about five or six times and of course you packed your bike very carefully and everything was just pulled apart so i ended up running to the plane literally dragging my bike box along the tarmac it was quite a quite a thing really but (laughs) and then you know after a 45 minute flight having to reconstruct your bike in a car park just outside the airport and then start cycling for 90 kilometers so not ideal but you know it's the stuff that you look back on and think that was a, what an amazing yeah. experience but and and how amazing to raise that much money it's so unusual mm. you know and thanks to all our supporters that cheered us on i mean literally hundreds of people chipping in fivers and tenors and some major donors putting in some really you know significant chunks but it's all those people cheering you on and you know the small donations and the big donations add up to meaning we could do three more eden teams or 
build a bus. I mean, it's significant And that's money. what you do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it literally could be three Eden teams changing people's lives for years as a result of that cycle ride. So amazing. So thanks for all the support, yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. and there's still time to donate if people want to. Don't there they? Just is, go yeah. to the website and Go to the website and, yeah, please cheer us on. Um, you know, if you think, well, I was waiting to see if you survived. We all did, and we actually all did do it. Yeah, so now cough up. Come yeah, on. <laughs> so now, now you can sponsor us. And or if you want to make the uh, the numb fingers worthwhile, yeah, please chip in. Yeah, That'd fantastic. And uh, talking about kind of change lives, I mean, that's kind of why we do what we do here, isn't it? And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. We get to hear amazing testimonies at prayer days each time, as we as we always talk about on the podcast. And yeah. we got to hear... Um, Joe's story again. Joe, a guy that has been with us for just over a year now. Mm. Um, I think we shared his t- uh, testimony on the podcast a little while ago, but mm. got to kind of share again at Friday. It was a powerful time, wasn't it? What a time and what a story. Honestly, I mean, if any story encapsulates why we do what we do, uh, you've got to listen to this. It's absolutely incredible. Six weeks ago, I was in a bus with Simon and Gary. And what happened was, is we were with another friend. Uh, his name was Chris and he said, we, walk, we went by a junkie, a drug addict, and Chris said, once a junkie, always a junkie. What Chris didn't realise then was that I was sitting on that bus and I'd suffered for 12 years alone of heroin addiction and 10 years of methadone. See, my mum and dad were both alcoholics. I used to go home from school sometimes and I would have to carry my dad up the stair. My dad was 50 year old, he would pee himself. My mum was 42 years of age, eight years younger. I had a brother who was 22 year old. He was my oldest. I was the youngest of five brothers. As I was going through school, there was one of my brothers who stuck out to me, who I looked up to. He was cool. He had people coming to the door all the time and he had girlfriends galore. He sold drugs. But it was too late before I'd realised that. I'd already been sold this dream that I could be like him if I do the things he does. By the age of 12, I'm now going into school taking cannabis. My, to- my friend's circle has totally changed. I am now hanging about, with, hanging about with all the cool people. And I determined you were cool by if you could fight, if you were getting into trouble, and if you were taking the same drugs as I was taking. By the age of 16, I am now smoking heroin with my brother. Two years later, I am now 18-year-old. I am on methadone, and I'm now injecting heroin. As I was going through life, I was trying to fix something that I didn't know was there. I was trying to fill a gap that I knew nothing about. I had no knowledge of it. I was tr- the doctor's solution was give me a chemical, methadone. That's how the doctors helped me. But at the age of, I was 24 years old at this point, and it was the 26th of February. My brother was getting released from prison. He'd been caught four weeks prior with heroin, and he was getting out in high court bail. It was my gyro day, so for all the loyal service that my brother had given me free drugs, it was time to pay him back. So on this morning, 26th of February, my brother came out of jail and had the heroin sitting waiting for him. As he's walked into my friend's house, I said, Graham, here it's here, and I hand him the needle. My brother then put a belt round his arm and held his arm out to me, and I gave my brother an injection. As my brother has took that injection, I knew straight away something was wrong. I could sense it. I had a feeling. My brother stood up and he's went to the toilet. As he's went to the toilet, he's then come back out sweating and he was chalk white. As he sat down on the floor against the bed, he started to convulse. My friend is across the room shouting, phone an ambulance, phone an ambulance. Seconds felt like minutes. Minutes felt like hours. Everything was going dead slow. I could catch every thought, but the thoughts were, 
what am I going to do? How am I going to get rid of this? How am I going to survive this? It wasn't, how's my brother? It was, oh no, what am I going to do? I eventually phoned the ambulance, and as the ambulance have came out, it's too late, my brother's dead. So the ambulance won't take a dead body, so the, my brother was sitting in this room for ages, and by that time, my mother had came from her work, and I can remember my mother running up the stairs and screaming, he's not dead, he's sleeping. As my mum has ran up the stairs, I've embraced her in a hug, not thinking how was my mum, thinking, what am I going to say? I was in self-survive mode. How am I going to survive this? So as you can imagine, I wasn't in a good place. Somebody asked me, how did you feel? I don't think I need to explain how I felt. I think it's apparent. Two years later, my life had spiralled right out of control. It was already spiralled out of control, but it is now because I'm trying to sort this, I'm trying to block all this out, I'm, I'm trying everything. I walk into my mum's house on the 6th of November, it was a Sunday. I took all my methadone the day before, and as I've walked into the house, I could feel the intense heat. As I felt the intense heat, I knew there was something wrong. As I've walked into my mum's living room, she's lying on the couch with a cover over her, and half her face is dripping to the side. I knew straight away she was taking a stroke, she had took two strokes prior. I phoned the ambulance and they've asked me to grip two of your mum's hands. So as I've gripped two of my mum's hands, only one of them was gripping. So I knew straight away, so they said they would send an ambulance out straight away. As I see the ambulance pulling up at my window, I'm dipping my mum's purse to take money. Because I had to get drugs that day. It was a Sunday, I took my methadone. Shops aren't open on a Sunday. You can't shoplift on a Sunday. So as I've took the money out of my mum's purse, they've sat her out in the ambulance, she's been out in the ambulance for about 20 odd minutes, all the time I'm saying, hurry up, I need to go, I need to go and score drugs. The ambulance guys have come back in and they've said to me, are you jumping in the back of the ambulance with your mother? There was never I was going that day, I paid for to go and score drugs, that was the only place I was going. So I said, oh I can't, I need to lock up here and all that. I didn't know that was the last time I was going to see my mother alive. I didn't know the last time my mum would know any knowledge of me was when I'm dipping her purse. So as the years have went on, a couple of years have went on, I'm in and out of the jail. As you can imagine, I moved to Largs. Uh, I was a high-risk re-offending, so in Scotland, where I'm from, if you're a high-risk re-offending, they get you a house. So I got a house in the posh part of where I'm from, Largs. Uh, and as I've went to Largs, I've bumped into this guy called Morris Craig. Morris wanted to know me for me. He saw past the emotional scars. He saw past the physical scars. He saw past the mental scars. He saw what I could become, not what I was. So as he's talked to me and talked to me and talked to me, before I know it, I'm entering a Christian Rehabilitation Centre in Whitchester House Scottish Borders Teen Challenge. And as I've went there, I didn't want to know anything about God. I didn't want to hear about Jesus. I just wanted to get rid of what I was feeling and to come off the drugs. As I've got there, if anybody spoke to me about Jesus, I tell them, shut up, I don't want to hear it. But there was this one guy in particular, he was 23 year old, he was bald and he had a stutter. I didn't have the heart to tell him to shut up. <laughs> so, so as I went out and worked duties with him, I, I began to listen to him and something was happening. He offered me into the classroom on the 28th of November, about four years ago, I don't know the exact date, I know it's 28th of November, but he asked me, do I want to ask Jesus into my life? I would have done anything he'd have said that day. 
So I asked Jesus into my life. And as I was then going into chapels, something was different. People were up preaching and I was hearing a voice behind a voice. God was speaking to me. It was, and at first it was strange, but I knew it was real. I stayed there for 18 months and I went through the programme. But two years later, I find myself back in Lags. And I was with my outreach worker, Morris Craig. And Cyril Wilden, out the blue, had phoned my outreach worker and had told them about the Oaks. So three weeks later, I'm in the Oaks. And a question I always get frequently asked is, describe the Oaks, how can you describe the Oaks? And you can't really describe the Oaks. So I'll try and do it a different way. Simon's name is Simon Sullivan. I see him as Simon Oaks, Stevie Oaks. Oaks is like our second name. So I'm going to share a few moments that I've had at the Oaks. And as I do that, I would like the person who I'm sharing the moment with me to stand up. So Jane, can you stand up? I've been there sitting at the dinner table when Jane's dad has just died. And everybody's all arguing. And Jane says, I'm going to the toilet. But Jane wasn't going to the toilet. Jane went to get Simon because that's where she draws her strength. Simon, can you stand up? I have been there at a Manchester City game only a couple of weeks ago with Simon, sharing a moment like father and son. I never had moments like that. Gary, this guy is a legend. This guy, I was asked to describe Gary to encourage him one day, and what I said was, is Gary's a constant. And what people didn't realise was, is I've not had constants in my life. That was the biggest privilege I could pay to Gary. But I've been there with Gary in this very room where we won a PlayStation 4 and that very night we went back home. That very night we went back home and Gary said straight away, this PlayStation 4's no for us, it's for somebody else. I've been there when Gary's heard God's voice before I even heard God's voice. I've been there. Stephen, I have been there two week, last week, last weekend, when Stephen has just walked off the stage and Stephen has walked up to a father figure in his life named Peter Grant and he's embraced Peter Grant and they both were in tears and I look to my right and I see Peter Grant's real son in tears as well as if to say, that's my brother, I've been there. Ah, Dennis. <laughs> I have been there in this very room as well, just over there when me and Gary get the privilege to baptise Dennis. I've been there, Barry. I have been there when just a couple of weeks, Barry wasn't going through a good time and I met him down the town and I was able to speak into his life. I've been there. I've been there in these great moments. So the Oaks, it's a wee bit ironic how I'm the one up here trying to describe the Oaks to you when I don't even stay at the Oaks. But I say that to say the Oaks isn't a place. We could all move at the Oaks and we would still be the Oaks. The Oaks isn't a person. I can move at the Oaks. Jane and Simon can go on holiday and it's still the Oaks. If the Oaks isn't a person and it's not a, a place, what is the Oaks? It's an idea, it's a God-given vision that if you get people for destructive lives and put them somewhere where they can thrive, that this will happen. I've been there.
One of the things I really love about Joe's story is uh, just that kind of journey, really, that he's been on through, you know, these different stages um, of of message ministry through the kind of the Oaks and then into the NBC working in the kitchen. And uh, and we'll sure he'll graduate from there in a couple of years time and go and do some other stuff as well. And and actually one of our girls who's in our kitchen is who's been with us a couple of years now, Sarah. She's about to uh, about to graduate the program. Yeah, and it's fantastic. It's, it's so cool. It's, what it's it? all about, isn't it? I mean, you're taking people who literally probably would not have a shot not have an opportunity people wouldn't give them a job and they come through this program and suddenly you know they're employable they've got a future life got some skills done their mvqs i mean it is a beautiful thing isn't it yeah, i mean it's, it's giving hope to people whose situation was hopeless or actually enabling people who didn't even think there was a concept called hope a sense of hope absolutely. so it's absolutely incredible yeah it's worth all the blood sweat and tears and toil isn't it and heartache and yeah yeah it's great and as well as that kind of uh, day-to-day stuff working with uh working with people who've come out of prison or have got difficult backgrounds we all also continue to do the kind of the lamp on the stand stuff the the evangelism yeah. in schools and and a couple of days ago we started the higher tour manchester Come on, again, yeah, didn't we're we back. yeah so higher tour manchester is now live and our bands are out there smashing it across schools across the region and you know as we often say while we can still share the gospel in the schools or share our faith perspective why would we not do this you know we've got a special heart obviously for the poor the lost the broken but also for young people and uh, what an amazing opportunity it is just to get in there and, and showcase all that's good about following Jesus. And even, you know, just going in and being able to say, look, there is a, where we don't openly proclaim the gospel because the schools don't want us to, or rather we don't, to be able to say there is another way to look at life and invite them to the big gigs at the end. It's yeah. an amazing thing. And we're already seeing kids become Christians, which is incredible. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? So the way the kind of the model of, of the way that we're doing high is refined, you know, from the last time that we did it here in Manchester. So we're doing three weeks in schools. I think we're doing 26 schools, yeah. um, single days in school. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, 25 you know, to thirty thousand young people will be will be seeing yep. over these next three weeks. Um, there's kind of some little kind of youth group type gigs yep. um, in the evening. So we had we've had two of them even this week. Yep. And I think we've seen um, was it eleven eleven one night and one then light four. party yeah and four. <laughs> last night I think yeah, so like literally just, first couple of days we've, we've already seen 15 kids get saved it's so, just remarkable isn't it it's cool isn't it yeah absolutely remarkable yeah and uh, and then we're doing some smaller kind of what we're calling um, higher kind of ramp up events mm. so, um, as we've got a couple this weekend one in uh, Bolton and one in Wigan I yep. think it is yep. and then a uh, week after we're doing a couple more and then that culminates in the big higher night tell us what that is Carl the big higher night is like our ultra lamp on a stand event where we invite the kids to buy tickets and come and just see, you know, uh, an amazing spectacle, the best of our bands and, you know, a whole kind of, it'll be loud, shouty, vibrant, pyrotechnics, explosion, everything. And, and then uh, and our evangelist will preach the gospel uh, for a response. Uh, and that's so that's going to be our next level event I mean it'd just be a buzz just to stand in the sidelines and think and watch that thing crack off so yeah, yeah. so we're, we're hoping for at least a thousand kids in the room yeah. aren't we and that'll uh, that'll be incredible yeah and so if you pray pray for that pray that we do see those thousand kids and pray that parents send their kids along and youth groups are able to invite their friends and we want we want to fill that venue, don't we, kids who don't know Jesus yet? Yeah, so it will be amazing. And that higher night is the kind of first evening of our two day message conference that we've got coming up. Mm. Which again, we talked about in the podcast before. So we've got uh, Danielle Strickland and yeah. Louis Palau with us over a couple of days, yeah. and Matt Redman. Yeah. Um, 
and Tim Hughes and River Robots. Like? Unbelievable. And there's even Honestly. this guy called Carl Lee. Oh, come on. Yeah. And there's this other bloke called Andy Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure he is, yeah, but yeah, apparently yeah. he knows what he's doing. So, uh, But amazing. I mean, Daniel Strickland and Luis Palau in, in the same conference. Unbelievable. And then Matt Redman, arguably the, what, the finest, most well-known worship leader in the world leading worship. It is incredible. Yeah. And then me and Andy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically. And some of the rest of the team did bits and bobs yeah, over the days. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, but it should great. be really good. And uh, tickets are still available. You can turn up on the door, but it's more expensive. So definitely book them in advance. It's 65 quid to book it over Even for the weekend. Even that's a bargain, isn't it? it is no, no, seriously, that is actually a bargain for yeah. what you're getting. Yeah. Um, but if you can only make the Saturday, um, you can just book a Saturday ticket. That's fine as well. So go through to the website, message.org.uk slash conference, and you can book on there. But if you can't do the days... And you can only do Saturday evening. We've got our big 25-year celebration party extravaganza, including (laughs) an after-show party, which will include... The tribe doing no some uh, doing some old tracks. Yeah, that's that's the plan. So <laughs> I don't think Andy's going to get up on stage in I his don't uh, think that's gonna green be PVC suit. No, thank the Lord. But the tribe will be there. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic uh, weekend. So do make sure that you you're a part of that. You'll be missing out if you if you're not part of it yeah, as well. well. And and joking aside, the the, the idea the re- reason we do these conferences is not so we get a load of people in the room and kind of preach at them for two days. But the idea is to release evangelists. That's that's the yeah. whole purpose we're releasing people into missions so we've been running this advanced network for a number of years now and uh, we're wanting to kind of train and release um, evangelists and that's kind of yeah. what we're about really isn't it I mean to get to have some sort of masterclass input from someone like Luis Palau is a once in a lifetime opportunity I mean, you, why would you want to miss it if you've got a you sense a stirring of the gift of the evangelist you want to see people come to Christ you need to get there and listen to this guy because yeah. it, it will be a game changing conference it's, like you say it's not a talking shop this is a let's get out there and change the world absolutely thing. so yeah it's yeah. brilliant and uh, you're spending a lot of your time darting around the UK as well. We've yeah. obviously got higher Midlands coming yeah. up in the uh, in the springtime of next year. And you were down there this week and you were sharing a story with uh, uh, a bunch of the leadership team the other day uh, just about kind of how that evening went. Just tell us what happened. Yeah, so we're just, we're just brick by brick, really, trying to gain momentum and build relationships and gain new partnerships. Because we, you know, we're shooting to see, you know, maybe get in front of, you know, 40,000, 50,000 kids in the Midlands, you know, round one. And uh, in its complex, we're going to be doing that in Coventry, Wolverhampton, Birmingham, Solihull. And, and it, it, this is a complex, big-scale mission. But part of that, you just have to do the miles. And you, you just have to get in the car and you have to shake hands and you have to go and chat to people. And honestly, having just got back from Israel 3.30 in the morning on the Friday and then straight into a bunch of work and then straight into work on Monday because I live in Chesterfield, it's a long commute. I was up at 5 on Monday and then back up early again on Tuesday and then I saw my diary I had to go to Dudley I was feeling a little bit whingy <laughs> I was actually I can't and, believe that no I was like oh I just don't want to I, mean, I wasn't vocal about it but inside you know you sort of have a bit yeah. of a heavy heart anyway one of my little practices is I underline little verses of the Bible in pencil and I try and learn them so I try and learn two or three a week at the moment and two days earlier I'd underlined this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 which says, thanks be to God, it gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So ironically, I'd underline that, and now I'm feeling whingy about, you know, my labour in the Lord is in vain, because nothing's going to happen, it's boring. <laughs> I don't sit in a car through Birmingham traffic for a million hours. Anyway, I'm trying to learn that verse. 
the Lord's got a sense of humour, hasn't he? And I and I sit in this meeting in Dudley, and right at the start, this guy comes over, taps on the shoulder, and he says, um, you Kyle Beach? And I went, yeah, yeah, I am. He said, I'm the new worship leader for the HW Church plant in, you know, in the black country. I went, oh, cool, nice to meet you. He said, 10 years ago, you were speaking at an event in Wales, a men's event. And I went, really? And he said, yeah, I took four teenage guys with me. He said, and they all got saved that day. I thought, oh, that's so cool. Ten years later to find out. Now, I, looking back, there was actually quite a tough piece of work getting that conference going in Wales. I remember there were budget issues and political issues. It was just, it was just a really tough time. Uh, similar to like trying to pull off big scale mission. You know, people see the glitz at the front, but actually it's just hard work, brick by brick. But then he said to me, he said, yeah, four of them got saved. He said, two of them are now all day ministers and one of them's a missionary in Mozambique. And I thought, that is just, that is unbelievable. That your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So we go out there brick by brick trying to do this thing, but the fruit that can come out of it is phenomenal, isn't it? And what if <clears throat> we do the high tour and we see thousands of kids get saved, but in that, in those thousands are church leaders, politicians, business leaders, people who are going to go on mission to Africa or India or plant churches. You just don't know what's going to come out of it. Or they'll raise up families who love Jesus. I mean, the spill-out effect of this sort of thing is is just phenomenal. So for me, that was just a personal encouragement. And it was also, I think it was a reminder to all of us in the Lord of, you know, sometimes your head's down and you're doing stuff you don't always enjoy, but but God's in it and he's going to bless it and there's fruit that's going to multiply. I mean, what a tremendous encouragement. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's just amazing. So yeah, super encouraging, but it just stirs us, doesn't it, to pray into higher as we break new ground and try and see mission happen and bring life into regions that have been struggling. So yeah. Yeah. And on Tuesday, um, we kind of every Tuesday morning we have morning prayers. We get the whole team together, and we either you or Andy or someone else on the team often does that. But we occasionally get guest speakers in. Now, you weren't no. actually around on Tuesday, were well, I wasn't, you? No. Um, but we had this amazing uh, woman come to speak, um, Stacy Reeser, um, who is um, from the Ramp Church um, uh, in America. Um, they've just planted her and her husband have just planted the church here in Manchester. Mm. Andy had heard her speak um, a couple of weeks ago um, at the Ramp Conference and invited her to come and speak and her uh, talk on Tuesday was just absolutely incredible and uh, just such an encouragement for the team about this sort of passionate pursuit of Jesus and that's what we are called to do Mm. and uh, I just thought it'd be kind of cool to uh, just share a clip uh, from that with uh, with you on the podcast and you can download the whole thing but have a listen to this. So one of the things that I'm just going to dive right in, one of the things that I'm really thrilled to, um, I believe, do help the Holy Spirit do on planet Earth right now is I have a heart for reaching the unchurched and the unreached. But often as I look back over my life, I see that even though I'm always thinking the Lord's going to send me to the bush bush and the different places that don't know anything about Jesus and I get the joy and the privilege of being the first person to tell them about the Lord Jesus, I love those opportunities But as I look back over my life, kind of the day in, the day out, I see the Lord constantly putting me in very religious places. So 
When I was eight years old, I received a call from God to be a missionary. And how many of you know what it's like to get a word from God and you immediately interpret the whole thing and get a whole life plan and you have nothing but Stacy will be a missionary and then you've drawn this whole blueprint, okay, I'm going to go to this country in Africa and I'm going to live among these children. And then you look back about 20 years old and you're like, Lord, you set me up. That was not the way this was supposed to be. And you get the revelation, no, God just told you the big picture and then you kind of filled in all the blanks with your own assumptions. And so as I was journeying with God growing up and I went to this Baptist school in the Bible Belt and then I thought, okay, I'm going to graduate high school and I'm going to go to Africa. And then I ended up with Karen Wheaton on the stage of TBN and I'm scratching my head and I'm just like, Lord, I keep getting, I keep winding up in these church settings. And then my heart starts burning for missions where in a kind of in a like, I'm about to burst the scenes. I'm crossing borders. It was in 2013, and Joe and I had been at the ramp for years, and we meet with Miss Karen. We're like, Lord, Miss Karen, we know we're supposed to get more involved in missions. We want to go. I was burning. I was preaching. I was going on different unreached, unchurched things, and then the Lord sends us to England, and I'm scratching my head again, and I'm like, I love England, but God, they've got the gospel, and so I'm starting to finally catch up with what I think one of the assignments of God on my life is. And I think I'm going to communicate that to you this morning because I love the Apostle Paul. He's one of my favorite characters and his life has been a revelation to me over the past few years. Because the Apostle Paul was a man who went from zealous religion to red hot relationship. And when I look at how God has used me, as much as I would love to have a book about how I've preached the gospel in scary places and told people, I've had moments of that. But I see the overarching kind of theme of my assignment has been the Lord puts me in places where people think they already know Jesus. And I get to introduce them to Jesus. get to help you see this journey from this belief and behavior to this passionate pursuit of a person. And that's one of the glorious things that I believe God's doing in the UK. And he has been doing as you look back over the history of Christianity. The the history of Christianity is the beauty of reaching people who've never even heard the name of Jesus And it's the beauty of seeing people who have been devout followers of another God, of another belief system, or other religions encounter Jesus Christ. So there's three things that I want to talk to you about, about coming from a system of beliefs and behaviors into this fiery relationship with Jesus Christ that we see in the Apostle Paul's life. The first thing is it moves from just ideas, behaviors, opportunities to something very personal. The Apostle Paul was a devout Jew, and he's passionate and die hard about what he believes. He's not absent of conviction, and he's not an atheist. He believes in God. He believes in a moral code. He believes in doing the right thing. He's going to church. He's going to synagogue. He's Pharisee among Pharisees. And then on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Jesus comes to him. 
And he says to Jesus, who are you, my Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. Jesus says to him, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And in our Christianity, in our walk with God, we know that we're getting a bit out of what the realm of God has, the beauty realm of what God has called us to, when, so, when what we're doing is starting to orbit around an opportunity, around even a mission, around a code of behavior, around ideas and beliefs, and not the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And in our generation, sometimes it's easy. You just, you, you find yourself as a Christian because that's who your grandma served and that's who your grandpa served or that's who your friends, they brought you to church and you're just kind of riding along. You've got this opportunity to be a part of a ministry and you're just kind of riding along with other people who are following Christ. But has there been a point in your life when you've had this encounter with Jesus Peter had this encounter on the beach with Jesus where he said, who do you say I am, Peter? Who am I to you? And Christianity is more than just doing great things. It's more than just acts of justice and obeying the Bible. It's about the conviction of serving a Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about one day we're going to stand before him and give an account for our life. And this is a glorious transition because you know what's also making it personal when it's personal, when it's about Jesus and it's not just about doing things for him or, or ministry or opportunity or beliefs and just behaviors, but when it's about a person, you have the comfort that he gives the disciples when he's about to ascend to heaven. You know what he says to them after he gives them this mission? He says, lo, I am with you always. That's a great word, isn't it? Yeah, and amazing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can download that on the uh, the Message Podcast if you just go go to where you got this podcast from and just pop in the Message Podcast and you can download the whole talk. Um, but just amazing that we've got that caliber of uh, person really as well, you know, planting church here in Manchester. And there's so much church planting happening in this city at the moment. Yeah. It's just crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's just back in vogue. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, I think in the last two months, there's been at least three, three or four churches wow. planted. Amazing. You know, which is incredible, isn't it? So it's all encouraging stuff, isn't it? Um, just thought it'd be kind of cool too. Uh, talk a little bit about Message Academy um, before we do that I'm just going to play you uh, the, a little clip from our promo video Spending a year focusing on how to grow in my own faith and learning how to share it has been the best decision of my life The Teaching on Academy has really helped me understand the Bible better We've had so many speakers who cover theology, prayer, evangelism and equipped us of how to put our faith into action I loved having a one-to-one -one training on my giftings. Our evening placements have been so varied and have given us the opportunity to work in youth groups and serve the poor across Manchester. Mission Weeks will be sent around the UK in our teams. Performing, preaching, teaching in schools, working with Eden teams in communities, putting everything into practice. Our trip to South Africa was life-changing. I just loved preaching in prison and seeing people come to Christ. We've had loads of opportunities to pray and worship together and it's really increased our faith. I 
I never thought I'd be preaching or performing. God's really thrown me out of my comfort zone and given me a new confidence. There's so many testimonies to tell. So that's some of the uh, Academy students talking a little bit about their experience of uh, being on Academy over the last year. Um, Message Academy is such a great thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome for the young people who go on it. And it's also awesome for us. Because, you know, for, for us, we, we get to, you know, recruit people into mission and ministry that have got our values and our ethos and just get us. So it's almost like a, a year-long programme ready for, you know, the future, for, you know, for the message. And, you know, I've had a guy uh, in my church, actually, we sent to Academy called Joe. And Joe, um, known for years, actually, was, you know, just, just a beautiful young man, really, and, you know, but quite quiet, a passion for Jesus, but very quiet with it. And then he came on Academy and uh, suddenly started wearing a snapback and... <laughs> got got messaged up and uh, uh, and and went through that did a brilliant year saw his passion for Jesus grow and his passion for evangelism grow and is now interning with us uh, for Ben Jack uh, helping to grow the advanced network and then and just looking at me think who knows where your future is going to lie but I've seen you grow out of academy into an amazing evangelist and someone who's so passionate about Jesus but also watch your character grow and flourish and your whole you know your internal culture grow to be something quite startling and you know really godly and that's what academy does isn't it yeah. it really takes people who've got raw gift and raw ability and turns them into you know someone who God can really use but more than that for us I think it's something like 80% of people who come from Academy end up in mission work in some capacity, but traditionally over years, 50% of them stay with us. So it's just amazing for the growth of the movement too, isn't it? Yeah. But if you've got a young person who you know is creative or passionate about evangelism or wants to work with the urban poor, wants to work with young people, you know, maybe they may not be the finished article by any stretch of imagination, but you can see that thing in them, you would get them to the Academy, 18 to sort of 26 years old, get them along. I mean, it's a bargain year for a start, yeah. but it's life-changing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and we believe in it so much that actually we subsidise the course hugely, don't yeah, we, to we make do. sure that we can get people on there as well. So it's not for us, it's not a it's a bit of the ministry that we're actually putting our own money into making sure runs, yeah. really, um, because it's just so transformational for the people that come through the programme. So, yeah. yeah, And I love the energy of having them around, actually. I love yeah. seeing these young guys around. It's brilliant. It's yeah, brilliant and, and it's always funny to me. They kind of arrive in September and they're, they're just kind of a bit all over the place most and they're brilliant and full of energy and full of beans but a little bit all over the place and then seeing them getting transformed into yeah. these kind of young men and women of god is really encouraging isn't it yeah brilliant so yeah, yeah so if you know anyone um again go to the website all the information's there um the course starts in september yeah. it runs for 10 months um so there's still obviously loads of places left for next september yeah, but start thinking about it now yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and it's kind of for 18 to 25 year olds so either kind of um you know kind of a gap year before going to university some people do that but also, um, you know, we have a lot of graduates come through the programme as well. So, at, yeah, by, by all means, kind of check right. that out. And do super well, don't they? A little bit older sometimes do really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Um, we've also, uh, at Message Conference, going to be launching a new book. Mm. which is written by a whole bunch of people, including you and me. <laughs> so, uh, so just tell us a bit about this, this book, Carl. Like why, what, what's it about and why have we done so it? So the idea was, was to, to capture in a, in a book all our lessons, our values, what we were about. Um, 
yeah, as the message. So it's kind of like we are the message and this is the message way of being and doing stuff. Because we do have a really strong culture without being weird. We are actually, you know, not like a cult, <laughs> but, we, but we do have a really strong yeah. set of values that unite us and, a, and a, a strong sense of culture about the way we approach things and do things. And that's everything from our, our beliefs about worship and the value of prayer, you know, our rhythm of prayer daily through to the way we handle operations, to the way we live with the opposite spirit, to what we believe about the gospel. So we captured all of this in a book and it's going to be something that, hopefully will inspire everyone but also something anyone who starts a job with us we could say you need to read that and that will tell you who we are and why we do things the way we do it quite excited about it actually yeah i think it's going to be great and i think the idea just kind of really people people being able to understand kind of the the leadership culture that we've got here and and hopefully encouraging others to if, if they're starting out on a mission journey and uh, of mm. like maybe starting their own ministry or they're already involved in ministry hopefully you'll find some stuff in there that'll be really there's a bunch there's loads of practical stuff in there as well isn't yeah. it it's not an academic yeah. book by any stretch of the imagination mostly because none of us are academics yeah, um, we're all if you aspire to leadership yeah. and you and you you, you you feel called in that direction i think this is distilled wisdom from you know goodness as how many combined years of leading missional movements so you know i think it's gonna it's i mean it's hard to talk about when you've been one of the writers but uh th- i think the wisdom contained in that book is going to really add value and really help people because yeah. you know it's the wisdom that comes from hard knocks and really you know staying focused and believing that god's called you to something and trying to be godly about it yeah so yeah so you can um, pre-order that from the website as i say it's, it's launched at message conference so the, the kind of launch date is the 17th of november but you can get it uh pre-ordered on the website now and Sweet. and go and check that out and this is a bit of news for you because i don't think you know this yet <laughs> we're going to do an audible version of the book no you don't oh, and, yeah. we're, and we're going to say we're going to read our own chapters how cool can is i that? read mine in like a gangster accent yeah well i was thinking of getting david Suchet into yours <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mr Praro. He, he's done the, yeah. he's done the niv bible why, why does he not do your bits in the book mornings it's cool isn't it yeah, yeah very good so uh so there you go so we, we'll be doing that and uh so just it'd be good to kind of get people to to pray for the message and uh, for all the things that are going on so maybe some prayer points for people go what could people be praying for us at the moment well, definitely be praying for high manchester definitely be praying for even last minute opportunities to present christ pray that um the kids we get these thousand kids at the venue um pray for responses in the schools positive responses from teachers and good legacy to come out of that please be praying about higher midlands because that whole process is going to be ramping up now really in terms of schools bookings and all that kind of stuff pray for our conference that we don't just want it to be a talking shop but actually want to see mission come out of this you know and, and people released into all that god's got for them in terms of their you know their passion to share christ so they would be the things at the front of my mind at the moment and and obviously we're we're just plugging away across the country as well. So I work in London, and and Wales and Yorkshire, Lincolnshire and Scotland, etc. I'll probably miss someone out now and really upset them. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just just pray for our national work and, and uh, international work that we we see the best of the message being delivered as we reach the last solution and lost really yeah it's great and we we got together to, um yesterday didn't we with uh, all the kind of hub leaders from mm. across the nation and just some, leaders, spent yeah. some time kind of praying together and sharing vision and setting goals yeah. next year it was a really precious time wasn't yeah, it it's amazing and what I, I mean it's hard to explain to people listening to this but we have got some of the most gifted talented people that i've ever worked with in in you know t- over 20 years of 
mission and ministry and, and that's a blessing and that, I think that just says to us God's smiling you know and he's being gracious to us and he's pleased with what we're doing but we want to stay in that sweet spot of humility and following heaven's agenda and keeping our eyes focused on a task ahead don't we but he's certainly blessed us with some amazing people it's humbling actually yeah it's good isn't it mm. fantastic well thanks for listening and uh, you can kind of keep in contact with the message through our message website which is message.org.uk you can follow us on twitter at the message um, at message trust sorry you are at beachy message I think that's well, right I isn't am. it at and beachy message. I'm at Ian Robotham just my name see that's the oh, good thing about having a rubbish surname see <laughs> like you can easily get get, get that and uh, you can obviously find us on uh, Facebook Facebook and stuff as well and and we'll we'll be posting kind of testimonies and videos and stuff all the time on our our YouTube channel as well so check that out and uh, and be inspired but thanks for listening and we'll see you next time see you later